Happy Friday the 13th. That is the day we are recording this episode. At exactly 1.05 a.m. on Friday the 13th. I should really be home before 3 a.m. because that's when bad shit happens. It's the witching hour. Speaking of witching, I'm gonna bewitch you, bitch, with a fun fact. Is your body ready? I am not. (laughs) Tuesday the 13th is unlucky in Spain and in Greece because Tuesday is the day of the week that was dominated by Ares, the Greek god of war, known to ancient Romans as Mars, who gave his name to Martes, which is Tuesday in Spanish. Who is this Spanish speaker sitting right next to me? Martes? (laughs) Where did you pick that up? If you're excited by Martes, you're going to be even more excited by... (laughs) Me gusta queso. ¿Dónde están mis pantalones? Cultive melones. What does that mean? Me gusta... Oh my gosh. (laughs) I like cheese. Where are my pants? And I grew melons. <laughs> this is the content you get at 1.15 a.m. If you are a keen observer, you will have noticed that not so long ago, we said it was 1.05 a.m. Yes, my friends, we spent 10 minutes attempting to put together this intro so that only audio gold would enter your sweet, sweet ears. Speaking of things entering you, do you want to talk about our snack today? No, your honor. Let the record state that I object to putting something cold and frigid in my mouth. This evening, this morning at 1.20 a.m. Thank you. Your objection doesn't matter because we're still going to try the snack. It's Nick's pumpkin swirl ice cream. At least admit it into evidence before you bring it up. You should get away from the mic. <laughs> I'm going to get this hypothetical judge to get me a restraining order against you. You need a restraining order from the mic. Stay away from the mic. <laughs> your opinions on my mic usage don't matter to me. The only opinion of yours I care about is your opinion on the ice cream. What did you think? I liked Nick's pumpkin swirl ice cream. But what I'm about not it? afraid to admit it. But what about it did you like? Um, I just think it tastes like holidays. Like, it just tastes like autumn. It tastes like a spice, uh, pumpkin spice latte. It tastes in ice cream form. I don't know. Liar. You hate pumpkin spice lattes. I know, but I didn't mind it in the ice cream form. So you wouldn't mind it if it was just frozen? I guess so. Odd. No, you're odd. And so is this poltergeist that we're going to talk about. I'm Dill. I'm Mal. And this is Scary Godmothers After Bro, that was way creepier than I had intended it. I thought that you were going to be like normal and talk normally. And I just wanted to be like the undercurrent whisper. But we did that. But I also wanted to be the undercurrent. So we were both undercurrents. (laughs) We're undercurrent together. So let's take this undercurrent to the northeastern shore of Canada. Amazing. Let's go. Between 1770 and 1850, the northeastern shores of Canada became home to thousands of Scottish immigrants who had fled Scotland in search of better farmland. Like with any mass immigration, people bring their culture, their religion, and of course their belief in the supernatural. Our story begins in such a place, a place steeped in such strong beliefs about the supernatural. Caledonia Mills is in the county of Antigonish in Nova Scotia. It is a small rural community, and honestly, not much has changed there. In 1922, Alexander and Janet McDonald lived in a farmhouse with their adopted daughter, the 15-year-old Mary Ellen. The old McDonald's had a farm with their adopted daughter. Now, I can't find much about their lives before the incidences that took place in their home. All I'm sort of sure of is that Alexander and Mary were probably of Scottish descent and made their living as farmers. And that Mary Ellen was the daughter of Janet's friend who could not raise her after her husband died in a coal mining incident. The McDonald's did have an old 
older daughter, but she had long moved out, so Mary Ellen was essentially their only child. In January 1922, a fire started in their home, not near the fireplace or the wood stove. The family quickly dived to extinguish it. However, as soon as they did, another fire would erupt on the other end of the home. The McDonald's were amazed because pretty soon, random fires started to appear. Literally wet towels and patches of wallpaper would spontaneously burst into flames. Everything from wet cotton, to baskets, to boxes of raisins, to furniture, to even wet paper would catch on fire. The McDonald's resorted to throwing their furniture in the snow to save some of their family possessions. Now, really alarmed and thinking someone or something was doing this, Alexander decided to send his wife and daughter out to the neighbors to get help. Their neighbors came to help to put out the fires and to guard the home, hoping to catch the arsonist. But none was ever caught. There were a total of 30 to 38 unexplained fires on their property. These fires were mostly bright blue flames, but weren't really hot. Witnesses said that they were actually able to put out these fires by their bare hands. Please let the record state that I don't think that was actual fire. What do you mean? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but a regular fire cannot be put out with bare hands. I think it still can. It'll just burn you. Were they being burned? No. I rest my case. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Prior to this bizarre incident, the McDonald's were experiencing some very strange fire-related happenings on their farm, but those actually didn't come to light until the fires in January. For example, they were finding charred wood on their stoves, stoves they hadn't used. Their stored milk would have ash in it. Their furniture and cushions would be moved from place to place. Their animals in the barn, like right after they would secure them, they'd be moved to a different location within the barn. Their cows and horses' tails and manes would be braided. Oh, that's fucking creepy. During one of their um, family playing card sessions, a huge china cabinet fell over. No one was near the china cabinet. They found their lamp mutilated outside their doorstep one time. Their lamp was mutilated? That's what they said. It was like, like mutilated. Baby, I think you mean lamp. So upon further research, I did mean lamb and not lamp because I heard this in an interview and in my ear I was like it's lamp and I thought it was odd that it was like a lamp that was mutilated but I clearly now know <laughs> that it was a lamb. You know what I think is fascinating? The fact that you looked at me and then took your hand and did one of those you know killing motions cutting the neck kind of motions when referring to a lamp. And I was a little confused as to what the fuck you meant. How do you mutilate a lamp from ear to ear? Context clues, babe. Okay, so the next part I do know that I got right. Alexander had lost a harness and he later proceeded to find it in the woods. Not a harness in his house. for what? I think just horses. Okay, because there's yeah. different types of harnesses for different types of things. I think he's a farmer. I think a horse... Yeah, but it's Alexander's harness, so we don't know if it was Alexander's harness. Anyway, whatever kind of harness it was, he lost it, and he later found it in the woods. There was also a time that their rug was found rolled up and laying against the fence. They did not put it there. There were hoof prints 
on their windows that actually scared the local priest. Now, these weird things may have started at the farmhouse, but they didn't stay there. There were horses that a fellow farmer bought from the McDonald's. These horses would have their manes braided randomly. Oh, I and really again, hate that. These horses were at someone else's farm. I really, 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 really hate that. So don't buy your horses from the McDonald's. Those horses weren't even on the McDonald's farmland. Whatever this fire bug was, it was, oh my god, it was moving with those horses. And the McDonald's lived with this for a year before the fire started. I'm not gonna sleep tonight, thank you. <laughs> uh, after the fires, though, they had to flee their farmhouse because it was just too dangerous to live in. Meanwhile, news of these fires and all of these weird events spread faster than the actual fires because reporters, even from the United States, because remember, this is in Canada, would descend on this small town to find out more. Amongst them was a little-known figure. Maybe you've heard of him. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Catch me if you can, Mr. Holmes. Harold Whitten, a reporter from the Halifax Herald, and P.G. Carroll, a police detective, came down with all the tabloids and decided to spend two nights in the house. The police police detective's name is Peachy Carroll. Yeah, and he's going to solve this crime. Peachy's a he? It is indeed. Oh, I love that. Or he is indeed. During their stay, they experienced odd events like cold spots, hearing voices, and odd noises like tapping. But the most haunting one, like haunting experience, was that they were slapped on the arm and face by a spook. Oh, no, thank you. And it, it was a hard slap. Oh, that's a bit aggressive. The spook could be aggressive. Really? The starting fires or braiding horse tails didn't come off as aggressive to you? I don't think the horse tail thing is aggressive, but the fires definitely. You and I have a different definition of has, what aggressive is. It's an undertone of aggression. An undercurrent, if you will. <laughs> bringing it back, bringing it back. Now, Harold Whitten would actually go on to accompany another investigator, Walter Franklin Prince. Remember that name, kids. Prince was a research officer for the American Society of Psychical Research of New York. ASPR was formed in 1884 as a way to study claims of psychical phenomenon scientifically. I, the more you say psychical, the, the more I'm sure it's not a word. No, that's what they called it. I'm not making this I up. I don't know if they were the experts they wanted to be back in 1884 calling it psychical. Their research included studying subjects like telepathy, clairvoyance, telekinesis, near-death experiences, poltergeist, and literally everything of the paranormal. ASPR is an active society like even today and anyone with an interest in parapsychology can join. Bitch, I want to be part of the psychical research. I'm gonna join. You can be. Do you think they have expensive fees? I don't know. Do you think they give out t-shirts? Probably. I'm in. Now, Prince would conduct his investigation for three weeks from late February to mid-March and he would spend six days at the farm. Whitten would describe Prince as an oddball. He would demand privacy for his investigation, wouldn't let anyone stay at the farm, including the family, without being given like an invite. He did eventually invite the McDonald family back as well as Whitten to help trigger the paranormal activity. Are we sure that Prince wasn't like a homeless man that was just attempting to move into the, the McDonald house? No, we're pretty sure because he was at this time a very well-respected researcher from the States. And remember, this is a rural community. So they were very excited when he decided to come over. Prince told Whitten that he would like to conduct a psychological test, knowing that it may not succeed, but he he thought that Whitten was most likely to be psychic, so there's no harm to try. The test was simple. 
Prince would spread paper on a small table and ask Whitten to hold a pencil over the paper. Nothing happened the first two days of repeating this experiment. On the third day, Prince had invited Janet and Mary Ellen back to the farm and... Okay, hold up. Quick question. So Whitten was a reporter extraordinaire and then this man who was a psychical researcher looked at him and went, you there, you are psychic and I'm gonna run an experiment on you. Not exactly. So remember Whitten and Peachy already had their like slapping incident at this house before. So that report got published because he was a reporter. Whitten was a reporter. And so once that was also published, Prince asked Whitten to, hey, like help me investigate because this happened to you. And Prince thought that maybe this happened to him because he was psychic and he would help him investigate this. Like I said, on the third day, Prince invited Janet and Mary Ellen back to the farm and then decided to repeat the experiment again. This time, Whitten would jump into a trance and started scribbling on paper for over two hours. Whitten was supposedly possessed by the poltergeist that was confessing to the fires. Oh, hell no. Now, the following is from Whitten's own words. Suddenly, I felt a prickly sensation in the end of some of my fingers on the right hand, which increased. The hands then slowly became numb. Before I realized what was happening, the pencil began to move slowly, without any effort or intention on my part. This lasted less than a minute, probably, when it commenced to form circles. The motion became more rapid, and my hand simply worked like a toy top over the paper. The movement became so fast and the pressure so hard that three sheets of paper were torn. Six sheets of paper had been covered in this manner, when the slanting lines on the seventh sheet. It next formed various movements over the paper and stopped for a fraction of a minute. Then it began to write in large, peculiar Peculiarly shaped letters. This whole experience lasted over two hours. A message seemed to be transmitted to me in this weird manner. I had no idea what was going to happen next. In fact, most of the time, I did not know what letter was coming next. At other times, I conjectured at conjectured after the first letter was written what the word was going to be. But most of the time, I had absolutely no idea what was coming next. I had no control over my hand, which was numb. I had a feeling of numbness about my heart as well. And although I could appreciate what was transpiring, my mind seemed to be controlled, led by some unseen power. Every movement appeared to be dictated or automatic. The writing was not of my own volition, end quote. Yeah, no thank you. I have to leave. Now, aside from this, like, automatic writing, Whitten said he lost control of his own voice. Quote, first my lips, not controlled by me, told Dr. Prince to ask, who set the fires in Alexander McDonald's house? Prince said, do you know? Whitten wrote, yes. Prince asked, can you tell? Whitten writes, spirits. Prince asked, did you slap Harold Whitten on the arm on the second night he and Mr. Carroll were in the house? The answer came, yes. Prince asked, why? The answer was, because I wanted to show him that the mystery fires were caused by the spirits. Whitten wrote, who unfastened Alex McDonald's cows, then immediately responded to his own question. I did. Wooden's account would go on to reveal that there were multiple pages written while he was under the trance. However, many were deeply personal and therefore would never come to light. He even wrote that his trance let him connect to his sister who had died 10 years earlier. His sister was sending him a message in the following sentence, quote, people must realize that those who have passed beyond are ever present. God is merciful. God is good. He is just. Spirits do visit the earth after after death, end quote. That's actually really sweet, but also fucking terrifying. So this message right here is what Whitten took to indicate that this unseen entity was not like malice, did not hold any malice. It wasn't evil. It wasn't anything. It was just trying to make itself known. And he decided that this message also meant that it was not going to bother the McDonald's anymore. 
It just wanted to be recognized. Yes. While Prince was a witness to these events, and even at the time agreed a poltergeist was most likely the cause of this phenomenon, he changed his tune very soon after. Oh, I don't like where this is going. Prince's investigation was put together in a report, and a part of it was published in the New York Times on March 16, 1922. Prince says that it was no ghost, but that the mysterious starting of the fires in the house was due to human agency. Mary Ellen, the 15, 14-year-old McDonald girl, was the arsonist and the cause of the other weird events. However, Prince would make it clear that he does not think that Mary Ellen was culpable because she was, quote, exceedingly young for her years in the development of mind. So I think what he's saying is that she had a developmental disability. And he also added that her developmental disability led her to to her being vulnerable and in an altered state of consciousness. Essentially, she was doing all of these things in a dreamlike state and was probably not aware of it. Therefore, she was not culpable. But those fires were able to be put out by hand and they were burning blue. So what the... What was going on? Now, to Prince's credit, he did have some strong-ish points. The burns on the wallpaper were never higher than five feet. That is the height of Mary Ellen. And that's your height too. It is my height too. The higher places that were set on fire were done so via a cloth that was tossed up. In another burnt out area, there were fragments of a glove and an undisturbed match, which according to Prince could not be put there after the fire was extinguished. So it had to be before. All of the fires did not take place in front of any witness or in any place that had high visibility, like there were no fires in the dining room or the parlor, which is very visible from the kitchen. Prince also found an odorless inflammable liquid in a bottle that was located on a beam, so sort of hidden away. And that material, he said, could be used to catch wet paper on fire. The obvious conclusion to him was that, quote, a person of five feet tall secretly performed the acts as opportunity offered, end quote. This guy's not a psychical researcher. He doesn't believe. Now, you may be wondering, what about the experiences felt by Harold Whitten and Peachy Carroll? According to Prince, the men had either slapped each other or just hallucinated the sensation of being slapped because they were already so wired up. And what about the automatic writing done by Whitten, which happened in front of Prince? Well, according to him, it didn't happen. He wasn't there. They don't. He doesn't know what they're talking about. So somehow he was there and he was not there. Now that is the real psychical phenomenon he should have been <laughs> talking about. Talking about now Prince's report on unfortunately, would mark Mary Ellen as an outcast. While she tried to defend herself in a later interview saying that, quote, I have never set fires. I've never untied the cattle and the barns. I've never plated the tails of horses. I would have been afraid to. First, they claimed I had a boyfriend, a sweetheart who did it. Now they say I did it. I tell you, I don't care who Dr. Prince is. He ought to be ashamed of himself. Yeah, he just wanted to live in their house. Now, Prince's response to this particular interview was that, it was a fake because Mary Ellen like would never say this because Mary Ellen had the mind of a four-year-old and so she could not make such big statements. Oh, hell no. And he doubled down on this and said that Mary Ellen had a developmental disability and he she was not culpable because it would put her in a dreamlike state. You know what this situation is reminding me of? That like meme or joke when someone is like, oh man, my friend died. I really miss him. And then the friend from the back is like, quit telling people I'm dead. It's almost like I can hear him now. But whack job or not, Prince did make those statements and he did out 
like Mary Ellen as the arsonist. And because of that, she was marked. Newspapers and locals would label poor Mary Ellen as the fire spook and she was ostracized. Oh no, Mary Ellen. It didn't matter that no one around her thought she had any sort of developmental disorder um, or anything wrong with her personality. She would be bullied and marginalized. He just ruined her young life. When the McDonald family moved back into their farm, the events started up again. But this time, people didn't have sympathy. Rather, they blamed everything on Mary Ellen. He's just trying to drive them out of their home so he can take that farmhouse. Her only defense was the handful of people who refused to believe Mary Ellen did it. Peachy Carroll, the cop who experienced the weird shit during his two-night stay at the house, he really believed that either a poltergeist was causing this or it was a combination of like a poltergeist starting the fires and like local kids pulling pranks on Alexander. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, yeah, he believes Mary Ellen, but also his sanity was also called into question, you know? Like, oh yeah, man, you slapped another man straight in the face and then you forgot about it. Witten writes, in my opinion, the McDonald's are to be exonerated, which means that the unfastening of the cows, the mysterious fires, and my own strange experiences were caused by an unseen power, spirits. If Dr. Prince's theory is correct, that one member of the family in an abnormal psychic state was used as an instrument to set the fires, then she, in my opinion, was no more responsible for responsible for these acts than I was while under the strange influence for over two hours. Like I said, the shunning of poor Mary Ellen and her family got to be too much. The McDonald's moved away from the area to central Canada. Mary Ellen's life after being labeled as a spook was not the best. She grew up and moved to Antigonish, where she got a job as a maid, but she supposedly lost it after her employer either caught her with matches or she had broken one too many dishes. Eventually, Mary Ellen was taken to be confined at the Nova Scotia Home for the Insane. Oh, wow. And she spent quite some time there. When she got out, she had nowhere to go as the McDonald's had passed away. Oh, poor girl. Mary Ellen would move to Halifax where she was arrested for prostitution and then thrown in jail for a month. Jeez. After her jail stint, she essentially disappeared. She propped up again in the 1960s and 70s where she was running a boarding house in Salisbury, which I think is in New Brunswick, which is the next province from Nova Scotia, just three hours away. Mary Ellen, I like to assume, had an okay life during this time. She did get married, she did have a daughter, and she lived to be in her 80s. I really hope she was able to get out from under what Prince did to her, because that is fucked up. I assume, now I don't know, there's no like proof, but I think by the time she gets to the boarding house, I think she might have had an okay life. Okay. And while Prince's report seems to make sense on the surface, it wasn't quite perfect. Whitten brings up a good point. The McDonald's were not a rich family by any means. These people would not assuredly have left their home in midwinter, has not the circumstances been most unusual. In fact, had not the house to them become untenable. Prince's report neglected addressing the fact that some of the fires were started when no one was home, or that the livestock seemed to escape seconds after being secured, or even the fact that he himself was hearing noises in his own office back in New York after completing the investigation at the Caledonia Mill spook farm. Or maybe he saw something that he didn't like, and he was like, nope, I'm running away from this. And Mr. Whitten, the man that Prince denied experienced anything, was actually so so troubled by his experience at the farm that he wrote, like, even though he wrote everything down, he never wanted to publish it. However, after he passed away, his family did release the notes, and that's what I was quoting from earlier. But the writings from his trance have never been released. Yeah, because there was, like, personal shit in there. Yeah. Now, my personal opinion is that Mary Ellen, maybe she did it, but the proof for that is very limited, and it doesn't explain everything. I do think that she was an easy target to put the blame on, 
And if some expert like Prince comes in and tells this rural community for sure that she did it, they are inclined to believe it. I do know for a fact that her family did not blame her and they supported her no matter what the community said. They were a good family. They were. They were a very loving family. Monica Graham, the author of Fire Spook, The Mysterious Nova Scotia Haunting, is a great source for this case and she says it best. She says, this story is about getting sympathy for Mary Ellen and her family. It's a story and a great one, but it was someone life. Yeah, what happened to Mary Ellen was fucked up, dude. That marks the end of the true events that took place at Caldonia Mills. Since 1922, the fire spook of Caldonia Mills became a legend that still persists. While the farmhouse and the McDonald family have long gone, many people still believe if you take home any item from the property, your house will burn down. According to one couple who call themselves P-O-N-I, pair of normal investigators, quote, this has been tested by regular people, regular everyday people, who have put such things as shingles or bricks in sheds and the buildings have always kept caught on fire. Um, maybe the lesson to take away from that is don't take shit from apparently haunted land. I found a comment on a blog spot that was quite interesting. A group of skeptical students rented out a van to go to the spook house in the summer of 1981. When they got there, they all swear the only thing there was the foundation. However, there was a small flame amongst it, like amongst the foundation. They ran over there to find no fire at that spot. Someone in their group tried to take a photo with her camera but her camera jammed and then she got home and then it was working fine typical and so then the students all decided to have an open mind after that another blog spot comment turned in turned in the story this happened when i was in my early teens but it has stayed with me all these years i am now 41 myself two uncles and a friend were coming home from antigonosh and decided to take the other way home so they could show me another way like just taking another way and how certain roads connect as i was a new driver and they were take showing me a shortcut home from the teen dances that took place in Intervale. That's cute. When the pave, when we left the paved road and were on the dirt road, the night was clear with a full moon and you could clearly see the stars. All of the sudden, we hit a huge thick fog that came out of nowhere. We were so chilled, chilled to the bone and had goosebumps. The boys seemed a little freaked out, but wouldn't say a word to as to why until we arrived at my grandparents. Once we were in the house, they were all white as ghosts. And that's when I was told about Mary Ellen's spook farm. So if you decide to visit, good luck. First of all, it's a rural location, so it's hard to get to. And the directions to get there are complicated and they differ among ro- uh, sources. Two, nothing remains, so it's even hard to spot. Like it's overgrown. There's no house there anymore. There's literally nothing. And C, it may be an active site of a fire-loving spook, so be careful and don't take anything back home like you said. Please never take anything back home. And if you insist on taking something home, make sure to hide it amongst your enemies' things. Arch nemesis. Pick someone who you don't like and feel free to let the ghosts run amok with them. Don't put it in flammable things. Near don't, flammable don't things. Don't do that though. <laughs> now, I am not condoning fire starting, but if you're not the one starting the fire in the first place, you are not culpable. And with that, that is the story for today. Follow us on Instagram, email us, send us a telegram. We'd love it. Whatever you want, we're here. We love you guys. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.